chance to die they have you know hand uh, like well if you love the Lord as it says here of course that he feared the Lord greatly which should be a big indication to us but because he didn't just say okay I'll go and do this and if I die so what that well you know he's not doesn't have a lot of faith is you know but I think that's being a little bit uh, unrealistic um, clearly this was a time in which preaching the truth could very likely mean your life that's true but but uh, Ahab already knew that about it but Obadiah he might not have known that Obadiah had hidden those hundred prophets earlier but you know he obviously knew who Obadiah was um, I think it's better not to look at Obadiah critically here but as a man who fears the Lord greatly even though he had a certain fear over what the king could do for him but again you know he hid at his at the, certainly at the, at the at his own life's risk of those hundred prophets so he's not like he's scared he has no faith and why someone would criticize him I find it kind of interesting I think he's merely telling Elijah that in his mind it's suicidal for Elijah to send him to Ahab and I don't think it's a sin uh, to prefer not to die but let me say that in a way I think that makes more biblical sense it's I think it's right for us to prefer not to go through the process of dying I don't fear death I think I can honestly say that I look forward to being with the Lord and to be away from this body of sin this world of sin I don't fear death I just am not excited over what usually takes place to get to die right even if you die naturally you, you've got to grow old and all that comes with that so that there's really very few ways people can just die and it's not you know something we would cringe at least at some point right and uh, so again I think we just got to be realistic about all this certainly sin comes when we would disobey the Lord in order not to die right see now now we've got a problem and that's uh, certainly, uh, and, and, but Ob- and Obadiah doesn't do that. But uh, that's something for us to always remember. And uh, remember, there's no indication to Obadiah that Elijah was acting on the Lord's command. So Obadiah, you know, isn't necessarily, you know, if, if Elijah had come and said, the Lord has told me for you to do this, and then Obadiah, I think, would have done it without question. But, you know, there's no indication that Obadiah knew that. So it's just this is something Elijah wanted to do, and so he questioned it, and we'll leave it at that, right? But we've got to remember, too, that it was a byproduct of the Old Covenant to see physical blessings and cursings as an indication of the Lord's blessing. So if probably what's going on is that um, if you kind of read his words here, chapter 18, um, verse uh, 9 yeah. have, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me yeah, under the old covenant when the Lord brought curses upon you and, and it was usually for a reason 
it wasn't always like 100%, but that was just the general mindset because that was the covenant they lived in. And I think we see this, interestingly enough, um, in uh, John 19, John 9, 1, and, and you think about this, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. And, you know, I've heard a lot of this be preached for, you know, through before, and a lot of times you'll hear him say, you know, just the disciples just, re- you know, they just completely missed the boat, you know, the doctor was all messed up and, and all that. Well, it's, it is true. The Lord had to uh, correct them. But I think the disciples were doing what everybody would have done. That was just the mindset. And, and there's probably, if, had they been, you know, there's good reasons to read the Old Testament to realize it's not always the case, but that was just the mindset. This doesn't happen unless they disobey the Lord. Somebody has sinned because that's Old Covenant thinking. But the Lord is starting to, of course, move out of the Old Covenant. The Lord is saying, no, wait just a minute. And it's time for us to, to for the for the God's people to kind of go to another level of, of spiritual understanding that, that, that this isn't the way everything works, especially now. And of course, you know, the Lord goes on to say, that no one sinned. He's, uh, he was born blind for the glory of the Lord, that God might be glorified in all this, right? And so, that explains, I think, Obadiah, what's going on there. And, uh, that God's people need never lose heart. As long as God is on your side, whether you live or die, you, you know, it's okay. Of course, Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts the Lord will be exalted. Had Obadiah feared man to the point that he disobeyed, it would have been a snare, right? But if we obey the Lord because we fear him more than man, uh, it will always lead to our exaltation. So those are just kind of fundamental biblical truths. Uh, verse 17 is interesting. Now as we start to um, hear Ahab uh, meets Elijah, and Ahab says, it is, is it you, you troubler of Israel? Now, if there's any if there's any verse in the Bible, any phrase in the Bible that not just represents how the world thinks, how our culture thinks today, but how it always has, it doesn't. It sees any God, Christianity, God's people as a troubler, as a thorn in the flesh, as a downer. How? How how unrealistic is Ahab in thinking that it's Elijah that has troubled Israel? He said, well, yeah, but he, he brought this famine upon the land. Yeah, but it wasn't Elijah's fault. It was uh, Ahab and it was his wife's fault, Jezebel, for bringing idolatry to the land. They have troubled Israel, right? But the world doesn't think that. They don't, they don't see it that way. And uh, so it's a statement that is completely the opposite of reality. And, and it's just, again, it's a reminder to, we've got to think through things and what's really going on when we hear people say things, you know, whatever things happen, to think biblically about, okay, how, what does the Bible tell me about this? Because that's, that's how we'll end the message today that the Bible, uh, the great thing about the Bible is that it tells us how. Actually, I think I said in the morning to be the next message, but the Bible explains to us the why of everything, not the how of everything. And that's, it's not a science book. You've heard that say before. Uh, it's not that there's not science in it. Uh, but it, it doesn't, it's not necessarily there to explain how God does stuff. 
But why the world is what it is, and why God does what he does, that's all that we, we need to know. We don't need to know how. And, you know, when, when we can figure out how, that's great, how things work to our advantage. That's, that's one of the reasons God gave us intellect. But our, our duty is to understand why these things happen, what our reaction is to be. And so, first of all here, he sees problems mainly as involving physical things, and that nothing else matters. All Ahab is concerned about is the fact that water's hard to find. Well, that's a, in one sense, that's the least of Ahab's problems, right? But that's all he's thinking about, so he sees Elijah as a troubler, and he's not concerned with the spiritual reasons, which are the real reasons behind the drought. And the saint of God understands that God is behind everything that is going on physically in your life. And uh, so we would judge all things by that. The famine had a decidedly spiritual reason for being there. But Ahab refuses to even go there. But a mature saint considers everything in light of God's will and biblical teaching. And we simply cannot, and I believe it's simple what we do, to to Think of things, consider anything apart from the revelation that God has given us that must guide our thinking and everything. So with the Christian, whether it be sickness, depression, money needs, uh, we, we know that those are not the source of problems, but they're the consequences of our our real problem, which is sin. They're, they're problems, but they're not the, they're not the real problem, the problem behind the problem. And so drugs, immorality, crime, health, health care, the economy, social unrest, all stem from the rebellion against God. The reason that we find any problems in this world is because of sin. Now God sometimes sends problems our way. He allows Christians to get caught up in them, but he's doing that for other purposes. But we know that, it, that the reason any of this happens is because of Adam's fall. So... Um, it is, in fact, Ahab who is troubling Israel because of his sin and his idolatry. And it's, it was gracious that Elijah withheld rain that they might repent. The problem is, of course, that few accept this. <clears throat> and, and, and it's our job to be Elijah in the, like Elijah in this sense, to make it clear to everybody that knows us, that we communicate with, uh, that uh, this is why things are what they are. And, and when we pray, we need to be very careful about praying that God bless America in just kind of a silly, patriotic, uh, a patriotic um, way, where we just ask God to bless America, like because it, it sounds Christian, because we're all we're praying to God, right? All blessings come from God. No, yeah, the problem is you're asking God to bless a, a mess, to bless uh, naturalism and paganism. And uh, idolatry and, and, and perversion. Now, what we need to be praying for is um, uh, revival, right? That God would change the hearts of men. That the, that the word of the gospel would go forth and have great effect. Because that's the only thing that's going to help our country. And then God can uh, bless us. And so we need to be asking that He do whatever is necessary to bring about change. And so it brings us into the uh, situation where. Elijah calls out, he says to Elijah, he says to Ahab, you gather 450 prophets of Baal and then 
have your wife gather 400 prophets of Ashereth, those who eat at Jezebel's table, which apparently Jezebel does not do that. She might have told her prophets, do not do that, or I'll kill you or something. We don't hear about them, so we assume that they didn't make it. Because at the end of all this, the 400 prophets of Baal are killed, but there's no mention of her prophets. So, so evidently they didn't come. Um, but um, it, it appears that the common people hadn't completely forsaken Yahweh. And remember that uh, originally Jeroboam's religion was really a, it, it was just a reworking of worship of Yahweh. He didn't want, he wasn't necessarily trying to have new gods, he just wanted to worship Yahweh his way. And so Elijah here tells them to these people here in verse 21, how long will you limp, go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And of course that's the, in a sense, the gospel message. That's why Christians are here on earth. That, uh, there's, there's a pivot there's only one thing that matters, and that's what you do with Christ. How long you go on. You know, and there's a lot of Christians who need to be uh, confronted with this. You need to decide whether you're a follower of Christ or a follower of this world, because uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to see uh, which one you are, are alleged, um, have allegiance to, right? So that's what he says here. It's time to quit playing games with God and worshiping him the way you want to or worshiping him and other gods, if if he's God, then you need to, uh, there's a there's a certain uh, result. If God is God, then you must follow him. You obey him. There's no other, you get to face him someday. But if he's not God and, and there's other gods out there, well then okay, it's fine. If, if we see the prophets of Baal and, and the Baal that they pray to seeming able to do what God does, and, and there's no clear um, <clears throat> direction here, then, then fine. But of course, that's, that's exactly the point of this whole passage. It's going to be abundantly clear that, that the prophets or the, the gods of the Baal don't exist. <clears throat> so Elijah was asking a lot in one sense. It's going to mean some real sacrifices because this was, Baalism uh, was the cultural norm. That's, that was existed there before Israel ever came into the land and, and there was still plenty of pagans around worshiping, of course. And that's what brought this influence upon them. So, he's saying, look, it's time for you to, to man up and start serving the Lord regardless of the consequences. And there's a number of reasons to, to consider because Baal was First of all, the politically correct choice to follow Yahweh was going to put you out of step with the culture around you, at least in northern Israel. You would be considered odd and ignorant and certainly very prudish. Isn't that kind of the what we have to deal with today, right? People think we're prudish and we're uh, odd and, and we don't, we're, we're ignorant, we're, we're fools. We, we believe that God created the world and so forth. We don't believe in science and so forth. Yeah, which is so, so, it's become so ironic now that, that the, the, the culture that used to make fun of Christianities for not believing in science now, uh, in, on every level in medicine and, uh, and in the, the, the culture, I have, are making up science as they go along and completely denying what science points to, true science points to. So anyway, 
But in order not to be laughed at, you know, Christians seem very ready often to accept evolution, self well excuse me, self worth psychology, immorality, immodesty, worldliness. Because we don't want to be made fun of. And it's like, does God have to open up the heavens and reveal himself and all his glory every minute of the day for us to be willing to walk in this world of darkness and not compromise? But That's why we need the Holy Spirit, of course. No, God really doesn't have to do that because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the revelation of God and we need to be praying, Lord, help me not to fear man. I mean, not, and again, not just the sword, but we, we, we fear being laughed out in. And how weak is our faith? And look, I know we, that's, there's not a one of us that likes it. And some certainly struggle more than others, but how weak is our faith? Well, it just shows you how, how much we need to be glorified someday and sin removed, and how much sin still remains in us when, when we would literally Disobey the Lord in order not to be made fun of, right? But that's what he's really asking him here. Secondly, of course, Baalism had a lot of tradition behind it. There was a long-standing tradition, as we've already said, in the culture. And uh, so it was just going to put you out of step with your neighbor. Thirdly, it was seen as the surest way to have your needs met because, you know, what, what are your needs? Well, all your needs were in, in, in the pagan's mind is to have food and drink to be taken care of, probably, uh, you know, to have all the pleasurable satisfaction you can have. That, that was the way to do it. They all offered all that. Well, supposedly, of course, he didn't really offer. He was to control the rain and, and their physical needs, but that was the whole point. But whatever felt needs you had, he was the way to have it fulfilled. It was certainly job security, right? Because oh, we saw that in verse 19, where um, uh, the prophets of Asherah, uh, the female counterpart, ate at Jezebel's table. They were supported. So, in a sense, Elijah is saying, you've got to be willing to give up, to walk away from your job and your security, your supposed security. And then finally, it allowed you to, to uh, continue to worship Baal, allowed you to... Uh, Address pleasure, not as a taboo or uh, secretly, you know, trying to deal with that pesky conscience, but conscience, but to just go out there and enjoy yourself fully and not to worry about it. You can have your cake and eat it too. Your marriage on the rocks, well, that's okay because there's a holy whore down at the uh, temple down there, or the, wherever the high place, to take care of your needs. So. so this is the call of God away from that nonsense and to uh, exercise some self-control to serve him to do things the right way. And and that's always been the call. It's, and that's always been our call. And, and that nothing changes. It doesn't matter how ridiculously sensual this world becomes and the culture around us becomes. The word of God doesn't change. And our, his duty for us does not change. And certainly by verse 21, we see here none of this matters to Elijah. Because if Baal and all these other so-called gods uh, that are contrary to God's will are real, then fine. But if they're not, then only actions demonstrate uh, whether you follow the Lord or not. In other words, what he's saying here is that if God is God, then there 
you have to live differently. He, you, you're, you can't live the way you are. You got to drop immediately what you're doing and repent because you're going to lose much more than, than your life if uh, you don't. And so no matter what we might have to give up in this life, it's in a sense inconsequential if the, there is a true God who gives eternal life. Because in the end we know that we'll gain everything. So Elijah's little contest is not just so that people can know who the true God is. And again, I think, I think this is certainly as a preacher to, and, and an elder, uh, as my duty is not just to teach you about God. The, the duty is then also, now, what are the consequences of knowing this God? If these things be true, what is God's will for us? And so, uh, so what we're going to see here is that knowledge requires actions, full and complete dedication to the Lord. And so even Paul said that if Jesus, what we're studying in chapter 15, right, the First Corinthians, if Jesus isn't who he said he is and he isn't raised from the dead, then living for him makes no sense. But if he is the Lord of glory, then not living for him is the worst foolishness. That's what Elijah's saying here. And hopefully that's what I'm saying every time I uh, get up here, is that the word of God requires action, transformation, not just a, a casual amen. You know, I, I love to hear truth and to, to hear truth expressed firmly and confidently and joyfully and to say a hearty amen to that truth. But if I walk away from that and I'm not affected by that truth, then I really haven't, as James says, I've just, I haven't really re, uh, reacted properly to truth. And atheists, when they are being honest, readily admit that uh, that's why they follow the path they do, because the alternative is unacceptable. They can smell the implications that if there is a God I must answer to, then I can't be doing all this stuff. I've got I've got to change the way I live. You've got to live for him. And it's funny how many Christians, at least professing Christians, seem to have stuffy noses when it comes to that. They don't seem to get the point. That the Bible is not just some kind of self-help book. You, you can't play with the king. You can't play with your creator. you got to submit to him. You, you, you can't put him in a box and relegate him to some part of your life. You know, we like to have all of our lives all orderly and in control, and I'm as bad as anybody. And, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it can be. You, you want some control, some some measure of safety uh, in your life. That's all well and good. But a Christian, a mature Christian, knows that, that that's not always going to be the case. Bad news is coming. Uh, it, it might be the next minute, it might be tomorrow, it might be ten years from now. Bad news is coming. And when it comes, right, and some, some of you just recently, all of a sudden, you, you, you know, the day's going along, all of a sudden you get a phone call and everything changes for a little bit at least, right? You get problems happen. And we got to be able to let the Lord shake us up now and then. So he calls it Mount Carmel, which if you study this out, uh, that was a, uh, a religious significance. It was a, a place of pagan worship. 
Uh, it had been for, I think, centuries, even before Israel got there. So it probably was why he has his contest there. That would be kind of a, and plus it was a big open area. If you've ever seen pictures there, uh, if God, you know, when God sends his fire down, a lot of people would have seen it. It would have been a spectacular show. Perhaps that's one reason too. But the reason he does that is God is everywhere. And, and so, um, God is not concerned with numbers. He says, bring you know, 450 of you. Yeah. And, and I'll, and I'll come by myself because we can't be outnumbered if God is on our side. And, and that's good, especially perhaps for young people to remember that the majority is not always right. And, uh, that probably a lot of times if you see the majority doing something, it's a, you might want to stop and think, okay, why is it that most people are doing this? Because most people are, uh, don't fear God. Most people aren't worshiping God. So the majority is not always right. And uh, this is certainly the case here. And it's good, it's good to remember that. Just because most of your friends believe something. Just because all your teachers at school might believe something. That doesn't mean anything. What does the Bible teach? So, verses 25 through 29, we, we see, uh, this beginning to take place, but he, he says, of course, uh, let's get to, we're gonna, first of all, he says, you guys make an altar, put wood on it, put your sacrifice on it, and then call down for Baal to, to bring fire down upon it as, as a means of accepting this. And of course, they go on, and they do it, and they're chanting, and they're cutting themselves, and they're screaming, and they're dancing, doing everything they can, Trying to get the attention of their God. And, uh, their prayers go unanswered for obvious reasons. And, uh, Elijah's mocking isn't without reason. And, and of course it's hilarious in one sense. It, at 27 at noon, Elijah mocked him and saying, cry loud, aloud. No, he's saying, cry louder. For he is a God. And again, that's, I think there's satire here. Uh, why should you have to cry louder for your God to hear you? Where Where is he? Is he relegated to time and space and, and could be far away from you? So he says either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And, and, and there's satire here, biting satire, but at the same time what he's saying is that it would appear that your God is just no better than you are. He's limited as much as you are. So much so that he even has to use the bathroom, evidently. Who knows where he's at? He's just, his life is really not any different than yours. Because these gods were seen as doing mundane human activities. Not omniscient, not omnipresent. Uh, you think about Greek mythology, the gods were full of sin and problems and weaknesses and so forth. So a very mocking tone. But after a while, it's pretty apparent nothing was going to happen. So he has him tear down that altar. He says, wipe all this stuff out. We're not going to worship God by any of this stuff. And he have, takes 12 stones and makes a new altar for the Lord. And he puts his wood on it. Then he says, build a big old trench around this thing. And he says, now I want you to get these big jars of water. I want you to pour right over the wood, all the wood that's out there for the sacrifice and, and the sacrifice itself. And they do this, I uh, forget how many 
I put four jars of water on this, so much so that it began to fill up the trench. So in other words, Elisha's not going to have anyone think that, well, you know, it was dry and some, you know, lightning struck, some kind of thing happened, and, well, you know, maybe it was God, maybe it wasn't. Now, this was a time for, there's going to be no question about what's going to happen. Of course, we know that the Lord, Elijah again doesn't have to beg and beg and pray and pray, uh, you know, and all this. As soon as he says, Lord, for your glory, show yourself for who you are, uh, the, the fire comes down and burns it all up. Water, you know, that sacrifice, every last thing. And so there's no middle ground here. And he'll have no one thinking that this is human clever tricks. Um, and it just reminds us, too, that uh, it's through the foolishness of preaching. Because you might say, um, why, don't, why don't we do that now? Um, why don't we, we have these big <clears throat> meetings and we have some kind of thing and we call on God to display his glory so that everybody can see? Well, have you been reading this? It didn't do any good, right? Because God doesn't say that way. And he could, but he doesn't. And, and remember, that's what the, uh, Lazarus, or the rich man, uh, cried out to, uh, Lazarus to let, uh, to Abraham, to let Lazarus go back, to be raised from the dead, to appear to his brothers so that they could be saved from that. And and Jesus, you know, in the in the internet relates that says, Well, they got Moses and the prophets, they got the Old Testament, they got the scriptures. Because that's all they need, because salvation is having your 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 blindness uh your scales removed from your spiritually blind eyes, right? So God again can open up the heavens and do this display, but if you're still lost in your sins, it's not gonna change your heart. And so it's just more evidence that that no man can just decide one day, I think I believe in Jesus. That that we're all born haters and enmity with God. And it takes a sovereign act of God to work in your heart to give you a heart of flesh and to enable you to believe before anyone's going to believe. It's through the foolishness of preaching <clears throat> that uh, God saves. So we don't need to spectacular. That's why we don't, we don't get all excited over dramas and and. We don't need to have healing services. We don't need to be speaking in tongues because you're not impressing anybody for salvation. It's not, not going to do any good. <clears throat> Verse, uh, Psalm 115, 4-8 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the works of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. Because they're, they're, all these are created by their worshipers. They have feet, but they cannot walk. <clears throat> they cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. So we won't, that you will become deaf and mute and blind and all that, but you will, you're going to end up, you're going to die. It, it leads to death. You're, you're, you're as stupid as they are. You're as powerless as they are because you're, you're that way you trust in has no power.
And another reason why we don't do it now also, though, though that, that kind of stuff now, remember here that he does this at the Lord's word. God told him to do this. It says here, I'm doing this at the Lord's word. So it's not that Elijah says, you know what, I think this is a good idea. And that's what, unfortunately, got a lot of people out there today who are trying to come up with, how can we attract the world? How can we reach the lost? And instead of going, well, here's what the Bible says. Just, you know, let's read Acts and see how they reach the lost there. No, let's, we're going to figure out a better way to do this, right? And that's, and that's, but, but that's not what Elijah did. <clears throat> and it's, I was thinking about this, except for when the plagues were done in front of Egypt. We talked about how the, the basic miracles are done in three different times of Egypt, Egypt in the wilderness, here, and in the Lord's day, <clears throat> but even, <clears throat> except with the, the plagues a little bit, the miracles primarily were to God's people. They were to the Jews, the non-believing Jews, or, or to, to the Jews, not necessarily always non-believers, but to the Jews. Here, these are Jews, now they're non-believing Jews for the most part. They need to be repentant, but God sends the spectacular to his people, but we don't really see that ever used as a way to reach the, the world and to to, to uh, bring people to salvation in that sense. So again, I think there's some interesting things to consider. <clears throat> I think if we're like Elijah, we pray that God would send fire, uh, not physical fire, but send fire of the Holy Spirit, right? Send Send you, do your work. Pray, Lord. Do we pray that through the preaching of God's word, uh, that He will reach the lost? Do we, do we work to that end? Do we, we want to see this confrontation. We want to see fire come down. But let's, let's say it in the New Testament sense. Where fire's coming down through the uh, Holy Spirit as the word of God goes forth and the Spirit works and be praying towards that end and, and not to think that we have to get uh, spectacular, physically spectacular in some way. Well, we know that uh, when all this takes place, he, he has the prophets of Baal slaughtered. And uh, it's amazing that there are those, the skeptics, who look at that and say, well, that's just way too, too severe, and that's awful, and, and they try to make this to be bad in some way. It's interesting. But there, <clears throat> there's no program here for rehabilitation. Elijah doesn't say, hey, look, now have you been convinced by that? And are you willing to repent and all that? No, he has them slaughtered. Well, turn over to Deuteronomy 13. Just First of all, he's doing this according to God's word. So, uh, it's, it's, and, and again, if God doesn't save through um, the miraculous, then this wasn't, it was never, it was never going to change the heart anyway. Now, certainly the, the goal, Elijah's goal was the people would repent, but there's no indication that much of that took place either. And I would just add to all this that it just, you know, reminds us because it's kind of a popular Christian cultural thing that everybody says today that God wants everyone to be saved equally. God loves everybody equally. He wants everyone to be saved equally and uh, does everything he can to get people saved. Well, if that was the case, why would he slaughter these, uh, have these, these men killed without giving them opportunity? Right? So, you, you know, that's why 
election stands, God determines what's going to happen for the foundation of the world. Those who are going to be saved are going to be saved by his hand. And those who are not going to be saved are not going to be saved. And it's not going to be God's fault because they're in rebellion. We're all in rebellion. The only reason, the only fault God has is in salvation. God intervenes to save some and doesn't intervene to save everybody. Here's an example of that, just by the way. But over in Deuteronomy chapter 13, let's start reading in verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, so even if he has actual power to do miracles, but it's he it's not to serve the Lord, but enough to go after false gods and, and against God's will, which you have not known, and let us serve them. Verse 3, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. The Lord is your God, is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold him fast. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the hand of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commands you to walk. So shall you purge evil from your midst. yeah, we'll stop there. And so the, the point here is that it, it sin is worthy of death because the wages of sin is death. So God has done nothing wrong in uh, having His creatures killed. They're in rebellion to Him, and of course He could He can have His children killed if He so pleases. But He's just ushering them into glory. But whether they were killed there or whether they lived another twenty or thirty years and died naturally, they're still going to hell. So God has done them no disservice. <clears throat> the point is that sin is worthy of death. That's not God's will for us to do that. You know, but we have the example here. We, the point here is not that we are to go out and do likewise, that, that this is the fate of those who remain in rebellion to God. We And we certainly have no excuse. <clears throat> and so, again, it's, it's so sad when you see people read the scripture and they miss the point often. Read about uh, some Soviet soldiers back in 1945 who were taken right out of the peasant fields in Russia and brought over uh, you know, and, and fighting in Berlin and as they come into Berlin they come across something they'd never seen before and didn't know, didn't know what to do with it. It was a toilet. And they, they said some of them actually uh, would clean and, and wash the uh, their potatoes in the toilet. There's water. They didn't know, right? And I don't want to be. I don't want to have to read the Bible, and and, and I don't know what's going on. And that's why we want to grow in our understanding of what the Bible is teaching us and how to understand His Word properly. Because the problem is not God's lack of refinement, as if we can stand in judgment and say, "Well, you shouldn't have had all those men killed." It's our lack of sanctification. It's our lack of understanding the holiness of God and the seriousness of sin. But that's the point of this passage. Sin is serious. It has serious consequences. And repentance is the only way to get around this. <clears throat> well, let me stop there because it's already a little late.
just kind of maybe use some of this for inter- for review next week. Any question? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love to us this day in Christ Jesus. Thankful Lord that we are and we recognize that we are no more deserving of your grace than these men, the people that watched all this. That given the chance, if we had been left to our own devices, we would have been doing the same thing. And yet, Lord, one day you in grace and mercy and love reached down and brought us up out of that and delivered us from ourselves, from our sin and our rebellion and revealed yourself to us that we might follow the true God. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that we are saved by grace alone, that we had no part in it. <clears throat> and therefore, then, we are to serve you. You are the only one that is there to serve and in you is eternal life. And so we look forward to being with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray.